this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks we'll be talking to David Ogilvy, Principal at David Ogilvy Consulting in Brisbane, Queensland in Australia. In his work, David, uh, with his business clients, uh, David works with CEOs and CFOs to transform their business operations through helping them to maximize their ERP investments. These are the enterprise resource planning software systems that many businesses use to organize, coordinate, and plan their business operations. David is also this year's Society for the Advancement of Consulting's Corey Shanahan Memorial Award winner for creativity and innovation in the profession. So delighted to have you here with us today, David. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Patrick. It's good to be with you again. Uh, so, David, could you tell me in overview about your your background and career and how you came to be an independent consultant in around 2014, I think it was? Well, actually, I eventually went out on my own a lot earlier than that. But um, uh, way back when, I actually grew up in a small family business. So I was in business with my mother and father. And um, unusually, my dad was a publican. So he owned hotels. And uh, so I was in the grog trade for a lot of my, a lot of my growing up and my, my, my early career. Um, so my dad bought his first pub when I was five and I was working behind the bar with my mother when my dad had a back operation when I was seven. And I did that for about three or four years until he actually got back on his feet. So, you know, I've, I've been in and around family businesses for a, nearly all my life. Uh, and so uh, the family got out of that business back in the uh, early 1990s. And then I was a little bit of a drifter looking for what I was going to do. And I happened to be on a, um, a sales trip with a, with a business that I was running with uh, another relative of mine. We were in the technology business space then. And I caught up with a guy that I went to university with. And he actually said to me, David, I've always wanted to get in business with you. And I'm going, really? Doing what? And he said, consulting. And I said, oh, don't be silly. I don't know anything about consulting. And he was smart enough to say, David, you, you know more than you think you do. So in a cutting a long story very short, he and I went into business for, for a while. Like many of those partnerships, they don't necessarily work out very well. So I lost a business partner, I lost a friend. Um, but then I was at another T-junction in my life and I thought, you know, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know what, I'm really enjoying this consulting business. Um, and uh, back in 1999, I made the decision to keep going. Uh, so it was when I joined um, the SAC community and Allen's community back in 2014 as where you probably got that date from. But I've been doing this pretty much nearly all of the, 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 the 20s. So you mentioned SAC and Allen. What, what is that and who is he? Okay, well, SAC is um, obviously the Society for the Advancement of Consulting, uh, which you and I are obviously members of, and, and you and I both won our respective awards this year, uh, thanks to, to uh, that society. And Alan Weiss, of course, is, is a mentor of ours, and uh, he is the gentleman that started the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. And uh, a lot of the work you do, and I mentioned in the introduction, has to do with these uh, ERP systems. Yes. So why are these ERP systems important and what are some of the 
major considerations and challenges that companies face when they're either implementing these for the first time, they're changing them, or they're upgrading them? Well, it, it actually goes back to my experience again when I was working for in our own business because um, my my university degree was a business degree, and I and I happened to do a, 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 an information systems major. And, uh, and it was after that experience at university that we started to actually apply technology to our own business. Uh, so, you know, I, we were one of the first hotels in the area to have electronic cash registers. We connected those cash registers to, to electronic NIP measures, as in spirit NIP measures, uh, and, and to, to flow meters and so forth on our kegs and, and all that sort of stuff. So we did our inventory control uh, and management using uh, an actual software software system. And that's where I sort of gleaned, I guess, the, the, the benefit that a business gets from an application, uh, uh, you know, a well-implemented application of, of software. And so when we got into consulting and we were doing, you know, supply chain and, and um, manufacturing consulting in the first instance, um, supply chain and ERP and the software that drives the business tend to go hand in glove in many respects for me. Uh, so it's really important for you to be able to get those many of those supply chain improvements uh, that you're looking to, to, to get in a business. Uh, a lot of that is driven by the way the software actually uh, runs the business. So your procurement settings, a lot of those configuration settings, the way you're running your warehouse operations. Uh, it, you know, the ERP system drives a lot of that. So the production scheduling, you know, all the whole gamut of, of, a, of a manufacturing business and a, and a distribution business is driven by an ERP system. So they are really, really important. The challenge, of course, uh, Patrick, is that the industry has a, a horrendous uh, failure rate. There's only about 15% of, of ERP implementations really deliver high quality outcomes for, for, for those, those clients. It, ha it has a, a bad reputation and there are millions and millions, if not billions of dollars wasted on a lot of these implementations. So it's an area that I guess I'm on a little bit of a mission to, to, to try and improve the areas that I can have my footprint across uh, uh, the, the clients that I work with to make sure that those sorts of um, uh, poor results aren't delivered to them. So you've, you've written a, a book, uh, something along the lines of the 14 deadly sins of ERP implementation. So what, what would be, I don't know, two or three of those most salient deadly sins? Well, the first, the first issue is to, is, is to buy the first, the right product in the first place. And, um, uh, ERP selection is another process that is fraught with danger uh, and landmines. Uh, it is not uncommon for a CEO or a CFO more particularly. Uh, they often get charged with the responsibility of, of, um, of managing these sorts of projects for companies. Um, for some reason, IT sits under the finance space. Um, but anyway, the CFOs are normally charged with, with that. And one of their first... Um, uh, steps when they go out when they need a new ERP system is to just reach out to the industry and start talking with software vendors rather than really understanding what business improvements they're looking to make. So that, that process of, of, of having a structured um, process of, of, of gathering your requirements, taking that to the market is, is uh, not very well handled. So that's the first one is choosing the wrong software. 
Uh, I guess another one is, is having uh, inadequate or insufficient resourcing within the business. Um, all too often, uh, ERP systems are implemented um, part-time. They don't necessarily have full-time teams. The reality is um, an ERP implementation can be the most strategic decision a company will ever make. And it is absolutely critical that they have the very best people they've got in the business working on that project. Because when they go wrong, they go catastrophically wrong. And um, that can put the viability of the business at serious risk. So strategically, they are probably the most important. And that demands having the best people in your business working on that sort of project. So that's another deadly sin in many ways. And uh, how would you describe how your clients are better off after working with you? So I won't say that ERP projects, are, when they work with me, are um, trouble-free because that's, that's just not the nature of the business. Um, but what they do get is a, a, an implementation that is, um, how do I put this? runs a lot smoother in, in the sense that if we get the right foundational pieces in place, so for example, we will do due diligence on the, the team that the vendor is going to put on the project. What we really need to do there is to understand where the consultants that are going to be working with us on this project, where they've gained their experience from. For example, are they an accountant who has moved to a software vendor and has um, uh, very little experience in, say, a food manufacturer as opposed to a discrete manufacturing? It's really important we understand where they've got their industry experience. Well, firstly, if they've got any industry experience, and secondly, if they do, where they've got it from. Because what can happen is that a consultant on your project will do nothing more than just configure the software the way they configured it on their last project, as opposed to understanding your business and what are the critical components of the way your business operates, what your competitive advantages are, and then being able to apply the way the software actually operates to enhance those competitive advantages. And if you don't do that sort of due diligence and you don't understand uh, where they've got their experience from. And if you don't have a, a good cultural fit with that software vendor, that can go awry and go awry very quickly. Okay, so we're kind of, I guess, now we're in the age of, of ERP systems, and I guess most businesses have one in some shape or, or, or form. But what, what do you think is the future of technology and businesses and where are things headed with, for example, uh, AI and industry 4.0 and the integration of objects that are in the business into the, into the software systems, say for the purposes of data analytics and automated decision-making. So what do you think the IT solutions of companies might look like in five or 10 years time? Uh, interesting question. I, I'm not sure that they're going to look within five years' time, all that different. And I say that because um, there are a number of um, topical topics, if you like, and you mentioned one before, AI. Now, AI 
requires a very clean data set in order to learn. Now, it will learn in the long term um, to be able to distinguish between dirty data, if you like, and a clean data set. But in order for that AI or that machine learning to actually um, learn effectively and efficiently, it needs a clean data set. And the, the reality is most organizations' data sets aren't very clean at all. Um, so it will take quite some time for um, an artificial intelligence or a machine learning algorithm to, to um, understand the way the business uh, operates and what's a good decision and a poor decision. Um, there have been a number of uh, AI projects that I've been around, um, particularly in the forecasting space. That seems to be a natural area where um, the machine learning should be able to, to look at past um, sales data, should be able to look at past um, 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 seasonality. It could look at uh, weather patterns, all others. It can get data from all other sorts of sources that might be influencing demand. And theoretically, it should be able to, to, to provide some, some uh, clear and sensible um, forecasts. But unfortunately, the reality is that none of those have really um, produced any um, successful um, outcomes as of yet. 93.9, Dublin South FM. Tell me a bit more about the Society for the Advancement of, of Consulting um, and the award that you received this year. So what is that ASAC, that organisation? And um, tell me a little bit about how you came to win the award, which I think is specifically for creativity and innovation for this year, 2022. So the, the Society um, for Advancement of Consulting is a, is a global organisation. So, you know, we have consultants from, from all over the, the globe uh, who, who are members. And um, there's a quite a rigorous uh, process, A, of being uh, nominated by your clients or, or, or um, associates uh, in the first instance. Um, and then you need to follow through with um, justifications of, of the work that you've done. Uh, there's a rigorous uh, process of your clients being interviewed uh, about the results that you've managed to achieve, achieve with them. And then ultimately a board makes the decision on, on whether you um, are suitable for the winner or not. Um, sorry, Patrick, what was the other part of your question? I, oh, and why, that's right. And so, so I guess because ERP uh, is such a dry subject, it's a bit like finance in many respects. Um, it, it's not the most exciting or, or, or sexy uh, topic on the planet. Um, I, I approach these um, projects significantly differently to a lot of my competitors. Uh, and that's because um, I guess over time, I've learned that the, the normal practice in this space is not producing the, the outcomes that, the, that, they, that the clients deserve or demand, uh, hence the 85% failure rate. And so I started to think, how can I do this differently? And so I've developed um, um, IP around both the selection process that we spoke about there that is quite different. Uh, again, I focus on uh, as much on relationships as I do on functional requirements. And when we do look at functional requirements, rather than having a massive spreadsheet um, full of inane little, um, uh, you know, can you do batch shops? Can you do AP? Can I, can I email, a, uh, email a, an invoice? We really focus on that competitive advantage piece around the business 
what makes this business tick, what makes it different. Uh, because at the end of the day, the ERP system needs to support and enhance those competitive advantages. And so that different approach uh, is one of the, the, the ways in which I, I guess I'm in, innovative in, in, in my industry. Uh, along with, I developed uh, another piece of IP called the ERP success formula. Uh, and that is understanding what it takes to make a project successful. And, you know, we can, we can take a heat map along the project along the way and we do audits around how the projects are progressing um, to make sure that we, we give them the best chance to be successful. A lot of these um, systems, I think, have kind of best practices probably built in all, already. And then there's that tension arises, and you mentioned about kind of matching what the business, specific business needs. So in terms of changing the system to suit the business or changing uh, the business to suit the system, where do you kind of come down on, on, on that in terms of, I guess, one, efficiency in getting it done, and two, in terms of it actually supporting the business in the future? Sure. There is no doubt that the ERP systems will sell to a potential client that they have best practice built into their systems. Um, unfortunately, the reality is um, coders and developers are not practitioners. Um, and so it depends on who has designed the solution. And often they have a, a good practice, not necessarily best practice, uh, built into the system. And you're quite right. Um, you know, I, for a long time, I, I uh, was challenged by the question around whether you should do process mapping, uh, do a, a, an as-is and a to-be or a could-be um, around that before you do an ERP selection. The important piece is you need to understand what outcomes you're wanting to achieve and what improvements you're looking to make. That is the key piece. Because at the end of the day, whichever solution you do settle on, they will come with a process. Right? And then it is a matter of understanding where the gap is between how you currently do that, uh, perform that, that process, and the way that the software then performs that process. And then the question remains is, you know, how much of a change is that? How much does moving towards the software's process, does that put our competitive advantage at risk? Now, um, I'm not an advocate for um, modifying the code on ERP systems. I think that creates a lot of problems further down the, down the road for, for organisations. However, if there is a case for modifying code, that is the one. And if you've got a competitive advantage over your competitors uh, and the ERP system does not uh, facilitate that or, or enhance that, then that is the, the the one case where I think you 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 should be uh, modifying your system. Now, lo looking out into the wider world at the the moment, uh, we've spoken about this a few times. There are lots of uh, challenges out there in the aftermath of COVID. Uh, we have a land war here in Europe. Uh, you have tensions in the Asia Pacific region between the two big powers, the US and and China. So. What do you think are the major considerations, risks and opportunities that businesses should have in mind as they look forward into 2023? Well, it's interesting because, as, as you know, Patrick, I also do a lot of supply chain work and because I think the two go hand in glove. And um, at my last um, business owner and CEO executive lunch that I run on a regular basis, I was asking the questions of the people who attended, you know, what is... 
if, if, if China does invade Taiwan and Australia and the US, as we expect, will step in, what will that do to your business when China stops supplying you? And I think that is the big, one of the big questions. Um, it is not easy for a lot of organisations to decouple themselves from China. There's a lot of talk about reshoring, nearshoring, uh, and there's some activity happening around that in the US, I, I know, as, as some have said. Um, but here in Australia, the, 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 you know, the governments have been talking about bringing manufacturing back to this country. There's a lot of issues there around that. I personally don't see it happening anytime soon. And the major reason for that for me is uh, energy policy. Um, you know, energy is just getting more and more expensive. And if we're going to move away from a low labour cost country like China and bring it back and have to pay the higher wages that we do in this, in this country, then the way around that to get some improvement, uh, productivity improvements will be to automate. And all of that automation is going to require energy. And that energy is getting more and more expensive. So that's a real quandary that executives need to, to look at going forward. And are Australian executives looking at other neighbouring countries like, say, Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia as alternatives to China? Uh, yeah, they, well, many of them are already in uh, Malaysia and those and sorts of places. Uh, Vietnam has come on a lot of people's radars of, of, of late, uh, as have um, some of the South American countries. Um, they started to become on the radar as well. Okay. And how has COVID changed your business and the way you work and interact with clients? Well, I must admit I'm very fortunate from a COVID perspective. Uh, my business more than doubled in, in, in the COVID period. And I guess a lot of that comes down to the fact that um, executives needed to make some um, informed decisions and quickly and they very quickly realised that they didn't have the, the quality of data that they needed to make those decisions. And so many organisations have very quickly pivoted and said, we need a better use of technology. And as such, my business um, uh, has exploded. And do you work internationally or is it something that's part of your strategy plans for the future, given that, you know, you're in, in the world of, of technology and technology is making it possible for us to work across distances? Like today, we're talking, I'm in Ireland, you're in Australia, and we could be sitting in a room together. Correct. Uh, and so before COVID, I did actually have an international business. So I did have clients uh, internationally. I always have said that... Um, my geographic region is the Pacific Rim. So that's any of the countries that sort of face uh, the Pacific Ocean. So that's West Coast US, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Vietnam. Uh, they're countries where I've had, um, I've had uh, clients. Um, COVID has prevented me from traveling, obviously, until just recently, and we, we've started to travel again. Um, but you know, working in manufacturing and, and, um, and warehousing, uh, I'm sure you would appreciate, Patrick, that you glean a lot about an organisation by walking the floor. It tells you a lot about the organisation. And so while technology does give us the ability to do a lot of the work, it doesn't give me the opportunity to glean what I need to from a, a site visit. So I, I'm, I'm a, you know, mentally I'm across what's actually happening in the organisation. 
Um, so, you know, going forward, I, for, for all, um, all projects, even internationally, I do at least one, preferably two site visits. Uh, we can do the mechanics of the project um, uh, digital, digital using technology. Pardon me, I've got a mouthful. Um, <laughs> we can do it using technology, but um, nothing beats being on the ground, I've got to say. Sure. And outside the business, then, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time? I'm a rugby, rugby tragic. And unfortunately, the Wallabies are not my friend at the moment. <laughs> uh, that, and I, you know, I guess I'm a typical Australian. I, I love the beach. I, the, the surf and the seawater seems to invigorate me. So whenever I, I need some time or some reinvigoration, um, I just I, I shoot myself down to the beach and swim in the surf. And uh, you're reading or listening to anything currently, books, audiobooks, podcasts that inspire you that you'd like to share with or recommend to listeners? Uh, actually, I, I'm very keen on uh, two podcasts, apart from your own, of course. Um, I'm keen on uh, Michael Gervais' um, uh, podcast, and the name of it has just escaped me off the top of my head. But the other one I like is, a, is, is one called uh, Hidden Brain. Uh, by Shankar Vendantham, and um, and I'm just trying to find Michael Gervais now. It's called Finding Mastery. They're the, they're the two uh, podcasts that I, 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 I glean a lot from. And uh, reading, I actually picked up Audible recently, and I'm re-listening to Atomic Habits, and I'm finding that very, very, very helpful. Excellent. So where can people find out more about you, more about your work, and how can they contact you? Well, the simplest way would be my website, and that's just davidoglevy.com.au, and Ogilvy is spelled O-G-I-L-V for victory, I-E, .com.au, um, and it has all my contact details there. You can sign up for my, um, uh, my newsletter there, and um, that's really the best place to, you can even book a call with me on the website. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, David, for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us, Patrick. Great to be with you. You're welcome. And wish you the very best for the future, both professionally and personally. Thanks again also to our listeners for tuning in. So until next time, keep well and stay safe. Bye.